Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Scripture reading this morning will be found in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12. Verses 13 through 21. That's Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Would you please stand if we read these verses? Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, So, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, be nigh, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, who will they be? So in the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. We enjoy hearing your word. We ask that your blessing be upon us in wisdom and understanding. We ask that your blessing be upon the pastor as he delivered the message. We ask all all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, today begins the first in a series of sermons I'll be preaching on the subject of Christians and our finances. And uh, it's not because I just feel like talking about money. Uh, Nor is it because we're trying to raise money uh, for our new security system, although it's interesting timing. Uh, The reason we're going to be talking about money a lot the next few weeks is Jesus talked a lot about money in this chapter. If you have a Bible in front of you, just glance down uh, over the next several paragraphs and you'll see it's all about finances and how we ought to give and, uh, and the way that Christians ought to be thinking about money and possessions. The teaching today was precipitated by a question, or maybe better, uh, a demand. Jesus was teaching the crowds, you remember from last week, uh, thousands of people were there trampling over one another trying to get close to Jesus and hear him teach. And somebody in the crowd interrupted him to settle a family dispute. Now, as a teacher, I can tell you, I like questions. Uh, Questions tell me that you're listening. Uh, Questions tell me somebody is paying attention. I like when I'm standing at the back door on a Sunday morning and uh, somebody has a question about what I taught on or they want to just talk further about it. I love that. Uh, And that's very encouraging. But as encouraging as that is, there's almost nothing more discouraging than when somebody asks a completely unrelated off-topic question. Like when you're teaching on one thing and somebody interrupts you and just starts a whole new topic. That's frustrating because it demonstrates that they weren't really paying attention. Uh, they They weren't really interested in what you had to say. They wanted to talk about something else. And such was the case with the man in the crowd here who interrupted Jesus. Pick up on this in verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
Now, the request was not all that uncommon. People regularly would uh, seek a rabbi's help uh, in mediating a family dispute like this. The only unusual aspect is the fact that the man interrupted Jesus' teaching. It seems he was so bent on getting his portion of the inheritance that he couldn't wait for Jesus to stop talking. You remember back in uh, in verse 1 of this chapter, if you have a Bible, you can see it there. Thousands of people were here tripping over each other, trying to hear Jesus. And so in order for this man to get close to Jesus, this took considerable effort. Uh, He had to push and press his way through the crowd to get to the front. And as soon as he gets to where Jesus is, he, he starts to demand this favor of him. In other words, this man was not there to listen to Jesus teach. He wanted Jesus to solve his problem. Verse 14, Jesus says to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then Jesus gets really to the, to the issue of the man's heart. He had come in hopes that Jesus would fix his problem, and Jesus instead shows the man that he needs to fix his heart. And that, read, that leads to the rest of the text. Verse 15 is really uh, the key verse in our text Uh, That sets the stage for everything else. Jesus says to them, to the crowds he's speaking now, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So much in that verse. Here's the principle. Covetousness is a dangerous distraction in life. Now we need to define the word covetousness because you might be tempted to think, Uh, that you have to be rich or living lavishly to be covetous. But in truth, some of the most covetous people are poor people. Poor people are as much in danger of having an inordinate desire for wealth as rich people are in danger of having inordinate delight in their wealth. So you can be covetous whether you have a lot or nothing or anything in between because covetousness comes from the heart, not your circumstances. Covetousness or greed is simply a desire for more. It's a strong, unsatisfied longing to acquire more possessions or to have more wealth. Having money doesn't make you covetous necessarily, but when money or possessions have your heart, then you've fallen into the trap of covetousness. And this is a temptation for all of us. It doesn't matter where you're at on the economic scale. This desire for more, this thirst Uh, to acquire more, to have more money, to have more possessions, whatever the case may be. This is a danger for each of us. This is one of those sins that uh, we tend to not think is really that big of a deal. Uh, It is one of the Ten Commandments, but it doesn't seem to us like it's quite as bad as the others. Uh, It's kind of strange to us that this is in the same list as uh, murder or idolatry or, or whatever, stealing. Uh, those other Ten Commandments, those all seem really bad. Uh, Coveting something doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. But it is a big deal to God. And the reason coveting is uh, such a problem is it's a form of idolatry. When you're longing for something and that has your focus, that is your desire, it has become an idol. Ephesians 5, verse 5, Paul writes, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Again, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Notice in both of those texts, Paul says to covet is a form of idolatry. 
And he puts it in the same list as sexual immorality and impurity. Again, we don't tend to think of desiring more as, as a sin in quite those categories. But this is a big deal to God. Because covetousness is, in essence, idolatry. It's when money or possessions take God's rightful place on the throne of your heart. Or maybe more accurately, the, the idol of greed really is yourself. Money is simply the sacrifice being made to you. Greed is nothing less than the deification of the self. Notice in the parable Jesus gave that we'll look at in just a few minutes how self-centered this man was. Verse 17 says, He thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. All this man was thinking about was himself. You see over and over in those few verses, I, my, uh, this is what I'm going to do, and it's all about him. And so each of us has a choice to make. Will we worship God or ourselves? Will we live for God or for wealth? And you can't straddle the fence on this one. Jesus said clearly in Luke 16, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. No true follower of Jesus can live for riches and possessions. Back to our text, verse 15. He said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. Take care and be on guard. It's like saying, watch out and be careful. Really watch out for covetousness. We all need to be on guard because this is a difficult sin to detect. Some sins are very obvious. We, we know when we're doing them, right? Uh, when you're lying, you know you're lying. When you're stealing, you know you're stealing. You don't have to wonder about that. But covetousness is a difficult sin to, to know if, we're, if we've fallen into it. You know if you're committing many sins, but my suspicion is that most people don't know when they're covetous. And this is why we must be on high alert. We must watch out for this. Because if we don't exercise caution, we will fall into the trap of covetousness. Coveting comes in many forms. Notice there, Jesus says, be on your guard against all covetousness. Some translations will say all kinds of covetousness or every form of greed. Coveting doesn't always look the same for each person. Some people have a desire for more wealth in order to live lavishly and to spend it all on experiences. And so while they may not have much money, they still have a money problem. Other people have a covetous problem in that they love possessions. Again, they may not have much in the bank, but they have 42 pairs of shoes, and they want another new car and another house, and more and more things far beyond what is necessary. And so possessions have become their source of joy instead of God. And so that is another form of covetousness. Others are covetous simply to have more money. They may not be the big spenders, they're the big savers. And that can be good, as we'll see in a moment, but it becomes a problem when it goes too far. And we want bigger and bigger barns, as this man in the parable. We want that bigger savings and that bigger retirement account. We get addicted to just watching those numbers increase. These kinds of people often find their security in having that savings. The more money in the bank, the more security they feel. And so their trust is in money instead of God. And some just want money for the sake of having money. Still others have a covetous problem, and it's really just a status thing. 
Uh, they want brand name clothes, not because there are any practical reasons, just to impress everybody else around them. Uh, they go to Starbucks. I've heard of people going to Starbucks. They don't even like Starbucks. Uh, they just want to walk around with a Starbucks coffee cup because it's a status symbol that everybody sees them and is impressed. And so money, in their case, is a means of impressing others. This is a fear of man problem like we talked about last week. They're more concerned with what others think of them than what God thinks. So coveting expresses itself in different ways, and probably all of us have our tendencies in one of those categories I just mentioned. And you probably know other people who are in those other categories. And most of us think that our form of covetousness is fine. It's that other kind that's really a problem. But it's all covetousness. It's all desiring more. Different reasons, different end goals perhaps, but it's all greed for more. And desiring what you don't have is in essence accusing God of not providing enough for you. So Jesus says, be on high alert against all covetousness. Beware, Jesus says. It's a dangerous thing because, number one, you, you can't see where it will end. Uh, remember, it was greed for money that caused Judas to betray the Son of God to death for 30 pieces of silver. Paul warned that the love of money was the root of all kinds of evil. Greed ruins relationships. You can see uh, in our story that we've looked at already, this man and his brother obviously weren't getting along very well. And it was because of this love of money. Greed is also dangerous because it's short-sighted and it's a distraction. Coveting ignores the reality of the brevity of life and the eternity of life after death. And this is really the main reason why covetousness is so dangerous. Because as Jesus says, one's life does not consist in having a bunch of stuff. We should watch out for covetousness because it's hard to detect and the result is living for the wrong goals. We can become so easily enamored with money or possessions or just trying to get ahead so we can live lavishly and then we die. And all that wealth is taken from us. And even worse, all of the time and energy we wasted on it is gone. All of that life wasted for nothing of lasting importance. After stating this principle that covetousness is a dangerous distraction, Jesus then gives us an illustration, a story to help us picture this. The word parable, of course, comes from two Greek words, para and bole, which basically means to throw alongside. It's a story thrown alongside a principle to illustrate it. Verse 16, he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. Now, so far, the man has done nothing wrong necessarily. And I want to be clear about these things now, lest some things that I say later on uh, be misunderstood. Let's go back to verse 16. The, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, it's not wrong that this man made a lot of money. He was a farmer and his crop was his wealth. And so an incredible crop like this is, is like somebody stumbling upon a fortune from some great stock investment or something. Uh, God had blessed this man with a very productive year. And notice the text says he was already rich. It was the land of a rich man that produced plentifully. So he was rich and God had caused him to become even richer. None of that's wrong. It's not wrong to become rich or to make a lot of money. The issue was not his income. The issue was what he planned to do with it and how he thought about it. It's also not wrong to steward 
God's blessings wisely. And we see that in verse 17. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. It's, it's not wrong to make a lot of money like this man was. It's also not wrong to save and to steward that increase wisely. It would have been foolish and wasteful for this man to just let what God had given him go to waste. Let the crop die in the field because he didn't have enough room for it. Proverbs 10 verse 4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Over and over in the book of Proverbs, uh, God gives us these principles that diligence leads to prosperity and laziness leads to poverty. And so we don't want to uphold as though it's a good thing to just be lazy and not make a lot of money or whatever. No, God honors diligent work and often will bless diligent work with prosperity. This man had made a lot of money through honest means. He was a hard worker, and now he was wisely storing up what he had gained in order that it not be lost. So, so far, this is sound financial advice. You have an abundance, so save it. This is what Proverbs says to do. Save during productive seasons of life. God had blessed this man just like he had Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Job and Solomon, many examples found in Scripture of men who became wealthy as a result of God's blessing. So the issue was not him gaining money. The issue was also not that he was trying to steward what God had given him well and make the most of it. Problem is seen in verse 19. He goes on to say, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Nothing wrong with making money, nothing wrong with saving money. All of that is fine as long as you're using your resources in such a way that shows Jesus is your treasure. This guy was only thinking about himself, how he could sit around and be lazy and live lavishly now and have more pleasure in this life. He wasn't thinking about God, and he wasn't thinking about others, and he wasn't thinking about eternity. He was only thinking about his little life here and how he could have the most fun possible. Little did he know his life was about to end. We fall into covetousness when we forget that money is just a tool. Proverbs 23, verse 4, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eye lights on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Money is a means. It's not an end in itself. Okay, so so you're going to make a lot of money. Well, now what? What's your plan for that? Here's one use of money that Paul gives, Ephesians 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, and here's the reason, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So you should work in order that you might have something to share with somebody else. Now, that's a different way of thinking about work. Uh, Most of us think about work, it's about me paying my bills and providing for myself, And obviously that's part of it, but biblically, that's just the starting point. You should also work in order to have money to give. Paul wrote about uh, giving to the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. "Each uh, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you 
In other words, he's able to prosper you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So God will bless you financially, Paul says, in order for you to be generous in your giving. It's not just so you can have more money. Uh, Money is a tool. And if we recognize it as such, that should change the way we use it. If money is a tool, then our money should be used in keeping with our highest values and priorities. Our money should be used for kingdom purposes as a Christian, not just for our own advancement. It's been said that charity gives itself rich and covetousness hoards itself poor. Seeking empties a life, giving fills it. That's the irony of greed. Uh, We think that it brings us happiness when the opposite is true. It enslaves us and makes us miserable. And the giving that we think will make us miserable is where we find the truest joy. And this is where Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Not only is it idolatry to live for wealth, not only is it sin to be covetousness or to be covetous, but it's also just foolish. And Jesus goes on to say in this parable, God said to him, to that rich man who had stored up money and who had all these great plans for his future, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? This man wasn't trying to pay his bills. He was not trying to acquire wealth in order to fund some good cause or accomplish something with his funds. His wealth was the end goal. And that's a terrible purpose to live for. Money is a terrible God to serve. And ironically, this, is, this has become the American dream. You can work hard so you can retire and live out the last few years of your life with as much relaxation and pleasure as possible. And somehow that sounds good to many people. Honestly, when I hear that, it sounds like this. (laughs) Waste the most productive years of your life trying to get money so you can waste the last part of your life in more comfort. In other words, live for nothing. Accomplish nothing. Uh, just, Just work a lot, have a little fun, and then die. And so in the midst of this plan, God says to the man in the story, you're a fool. You're going to die tonight. And then all your wealth will go to someone else. Maybe a good question to ask yourself about the way you live out your life and if money has too much of our hearts is to ask, what would happen if I died today? Would everything I'm living for and everything I'm trying to do with my time on earth, would it all be gone? Would it all have been a waste? Don't waste time. Don't waste years of your life chasing money or pleasure or possessions. It doesn't satisfy. The hunger will never stop growing. And worse than that, uh, you'll look back on a life with regret for the time you wasted. So what should we live for? I think if we think about it, we can all see the futility in living for wealth. But what is a wise use of our time? What should we be pursuing with our life? Back in verse 15, Jesus said, a man's life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. So the question is, what does it consist in? Uh, What is our life supposed to be all about? This man thought he was wise. He was making these financial plans for his future, but God calls him a fool. Because while he'd planned everything out great for his life, he hadn't planned so well for the next life. And he didn't know that this earthly life was just a few hours from ending. His goal was to enjoy his earthly life to the fullest, and in seeking his life, he lost it. And so the illustration that Jesus gives closes with these words, verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. 
living for money is living for yourself. It's worshiping yourself instead of God. And just like this man was a fool for wasting his life chasing money, so we are fools if we live our lives to move up the ladder instead of living for God. In other words, a life lived for anything but the Lord is a wasted life. Greed is sin because it ignores the lordship of Christ over all of our life. We as Christians must remember we're not our own. Uh, We've been purchased and we belong to Christ now. And that includes our finances. So how can we be rich towards God instead of just laying up treasure for ourselves? Over in Matthew 6, Jesus said this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, I don't know exactly how laying up treasures in heaven works, uh, but it seems that by doing things here and now in this life, we can somehow have rewards for that in the next life, almost like we make deposits here and withdraw it there. And so I think the rebuke God gives to the rich man in the parable is that all his wealth was used for himself, and not any of it was used for God's purposes. Being rich towards God or laying up treasures for yourself in heaven, I think means using our resources in a way that advances God's purposes. This is what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. The the author writes about his life, his attempts at seeking riches, trying to uh, build huge buildings and accomplish these great things, Uh, all of his sexual exploits. All of it was an attempt to find meaning and purpose in life. And over and over throughout the book, he says it's all vain. It's a vapor. Life is worthless. He just keeps saying this. He, he goes after something for a few years, and then in the end, there's no satisfaction. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17, he says, So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toils of my labor under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun. He's asking, uh, what do you really gain of lasting significance working for money? Later in chapter 5, the author says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. There is a grievous evil which, uh, that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And He is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there for him who toils for the wind? In other words, you spend your life working and gaining wealth only to die and leave it all behind to someone else. What's the point of all that? What do you gain? Then at the conclusion of this spiritual journey, after years of trying out different things and finding them all to be unsatisfying, the author writes in chapter 12, 
the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Living for covetous reasons is folly, because at the end it does not satisfy, and it has no lasting rewards. Uh, Whatever money we acquire, whatever possessions we acquire will all leave us the day that we die. So watch out, be on guard against all manner of covetousness. And the way to avoid covetousness is to be content with what you have. If coveting means grasping for more, then contentment is the opposite. And for the Christian, contentment starts by recognizing what we have in Christ. Hebrews 13 verse 5, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Covetousness is dangerous because it distracts from what is most important in life. If Satan can't get you to live in sin and rebellion to God, if you become a Christian, then his next goal is to make you unproductive in the work of God. God has things for you to do with your life, and Satan is perfectly happy to distract you with other things that will keep you from doing anything that would, that would further the cause of Christ in the gospel. And one of his most effective distractions is money. Satan uses the shiny distraction of money and possessions to trick us into wasting the few years of life that we have. As James says, life is a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So what are you going to do with your vapor? Don't spend your brief life chasing after money. I heard a story this week about a wealthy businessman who saw a fisherman. A fisherman was sitting beside his boat one afternoon just watching the sunset on the lake And the businessman asked him, why aren't you out there fishing? He answered, because I have all that I need for today. The businessman asked him, why don't you catch more fish than you need? And he said, why would I do that? What would I do with them? Businessman replied, well, you could earn more money and then buy a bigger boat so you can go deeper and catch even more fish. You could purchase better equipment. You could make more money. The fisherman said, then what would I do? The businessman replied, you could relax and enjoy life. The fisherman looked out across the sea and said, what do you think I'm doing right now? Isn't that the way we think about money? Uh, One of the ways to just think about the futility of living for money is keep asking, and then what? Okay, I'm going to graduate college. Why? So I can get a really high-paying job. Okay, and then what? Well, then I'm going to work and make a lot of money. And then what? Then I'm going to retire. And then what? And then I'm going to die. What a futile way to live our life. Covetousness is a deceptive folly. It robs us of life. The desire for more will never be satisfied. And we all think we're the exception to that rule. Uh, This is the deception of greed. I think someday I will be satisfied. Uh, Once I have this much in the bank, once my savings is up to this amount, once once this car is paid off, uh, once I have this and that, and I'm all set, then I'll be totally satisfied. Everything will be great. I'll be content with where I'm at, and then I'll be generous. But right now, I just can't afford to. We think that our desire for more is reasonable, And I think every covetous person thinks theirs is too. Because wealth never satisfies. It's a hunger that only intensifies 
the more that we acquire. Now, we said at the beginning, it's not wrong to have a high income. It's not wrong when God blesses you. It's not wrong uh, to be wise with your finances, to save. There are stories in the Old Testament where uh, the Israelites, for instance, contributed to the construction of the tabernacle and met the need. Uh, They gave of their wealth in order to build the structure for God. There are many people in the Bible who were wealthy uh, that used their finances well. The Apostle Paul seems to have been wealthy. He used his skill in order to support himself while planting churches. Earlier in Luke, uh, several months back, we saw some women who supported Jesus' ministry, uh, very wealthy women who were married, in, in one case, to Herod's basically estate manager, so a very high, elevated job that she had. And, and she gave of her money in order to support the ministry of Jesus so he could be freed up to travel around and preach. There's also mention in the epistles of people who supported Paul in the, from, the, from the church of Philippi. They sent him finances in order to further the work of Christ. There are churches who supported their pastors to preach the word to them. There are also churches who were able to support other churches who were struggling due to persecution or famine. And so having money isn't the problem. The key is to treat money as a tool, not as an end in itself. In other words, be a conduit of funds, not a bucket. If the goal is bigger barns or lavish living, you're a fool. If the goal instead is greater giving, then you're wise. So be on guard against covetousness. Ask yourself these questions. Here are some ways to to find out. Do I have a problem with greed? Here are a few questions. Do my thoughts more often run after material things than God? Do I get more pleasure out of giving or receiving? Do I think more about how I can acquire more wealth or how I can use what I have for eternal purposes? Do I ever compromise godly character in order to get ahead financially? Do I enjoy material things more than God? How do I respond when I lose something of value? What comes to mind uh, when you think about suddenly acquiring a large sum of money? Maybe this is a question somebody's asked you before. If you won the lottery, what would you do? Uh, If all of the first things that come to mind are possessions or fun activities or things like that, it's all about you, uh, that would be an indicator that there's a problem with covetousness. We know that money isn't the goal. We we should treat money as a tool and not as an idol. But what are some practical steps towards that end? I'm going to read uh, this text in 1 Timothy 6, some of the best instructions, I think, towards us in regards to our finances. Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, So avoid that status of uh, trying to impress everybody with your money, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So first, don't become haughty because you have possessions. Number two, don't set your hope. Don't find your security, your safety, and how much is in your savings, but trust in God. And then verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So I see two things in those last two verses. Be rich towards God, right? Lay up those treasures in heaven. Don't just acquire things here on earth. And through that, you can take hold of what is truly life. In other words, don't be distracted, uh, thinking that money is the end in itself. Instead, think of how you can use your money for eternal purposes. We should be eternally minded enough that our money will be used for purposes that really matter. 
be on guard against all covetousness because living for money is foolish. Living for money is idolatry and it won't satisfy. It won't help you eternally. He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Father, we do pray that you would help each one of us to heed this warning. Covetousness is a danger that all of us have a tendency to fall into in different ways, to different degrees perhaps, but all of us need to be on guard to watch out for this dangerous distraction of chasing after money, living for wealth. Pray, God, that you would help each of us to become kingdom-minded in every area of our life, but in particular, as you point out in these verses, in the way that we use our finances, in the way that we think about money, Help it not to be the goal of itself. Help it not to be about impressing others or just living lavishly. Help us to think about the brevity of life, that we have a short life, a short time to impact the world for Christ. And I pray that you'd help each one of us to do that maximally and not to find our identity in our possessions. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.